Hi, I'm Joe. Hi, I'm Eric. I mean, I'm Dan. Eric. What's up? How's it going? It's going pretty good. How are you? Good. We freaking nailed the intro, so. Yeah, I just want to let everybody know that uh, we planned that, too. (laughs) That was completely 100% like uh, scripted, that entire thing. That's true. My line was, hi, I'm Eric. (laughs) yeah no but actually i kind of thought to myself i was like it would be pretty funny if it was uh one of those things where uh i mess up where i'm like hi i'm eric oh wait hold on i'm actually dan (laughs) made sense to me at the time i think you got it (laughs) exactly people still don't know which of us is which now (laughs) yeah which that'd be (laughs) that'd be great like which voice is whose (laughs) so um uh, Eric, how was your Christmas, man? Weird, but all right. Yeah, it was all right. Uh, you know, Zoomed with the family and uh, stuff like that. But we watched a lot of Christmas movies, um, th- just the good ones, you know. Well, what are the good ones? <laughs> uh I would say my favorite is It's a Wonderful Life. I, I think it's uh, I think it's really actually funny, um, which is kind of not how old movies <laughs> usually work. Like, you know, usually it's like, oh, I guess I can understand that that used to be funny or something. But with It's a Wonderful Life, I think the performances are really cool, and I just think it's an odd movie, you know. And then we watched uh, Scrooged. That is, I was just going to say that that is my favorite Christmas movie. Yeah. For me, it's my favorite because Christmas Carol was always my favorite part of Christmas because, like, I'm a horror freak, you know? Sure. And so it's like, even though Christmas is boring and stupid, at least I'll get this one horror movie out of the deal, like one scary story, you know, all about ghosts and shit. You, (laughs) You really think that Christmas is boring and stupid? Uh... It's just a little goody for me, you know? Like, I don't think I'm a negative person, really. And, like, I can only take so much, like, sweetness and being, I don't know, people acting different for a season. I don't I, I don't know. And everything's all hunky-dory and all the pictures are people at the dinner table filled with food by a warm fire. And I don't Ever since I was a kid, I was just like, ah, this is a bunch of BS. You know? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, especially when you found out that they were lying to you about Santa Claus. Um, I mean, wait, what do you, what? <laughs> <laughs> do you remember when you stopped believing in Santa Claus? Uh, totally. <laughs> yeah, no, me too. It was uh, actually, um, I was in first grade and some asshole who was friends with me. I mean, I I don't even remember his name. Probably I'll never see him again in my life. But he was, um, you know, he was a fellow first grader. And he decided Santa Claus wasn't real. And I don't know how or why. I don't know if, like, maybe he had parents that, um, you know, just didn't celebrate Christmas or whatever it was. But I started following him. And I was like, yeah, yeah, Santa Claus... Santa Claus isn't real. And I remember, like, the um, teachers, um, 
they were, you know, they we actually like kind of got in trouble for like saying that. Like, I remember, uh, yeah, it was like first grade, and I remember we, uh, um, they were just like, you know, you're breaking your parents' heart by saying that. And <laughs> you should have been like, they fucking know. Well, no, that me. that was that was like, I was like, yeah, good. <laughs> You know, like they didn't give me what I wanted for Christmas this year. You know what I mean? Like, and there's no way Santa Claus would have gotten me that piece of shit, whatever it was. <laughs> you know, so I actually was glad that I was breaking my parents' heart. It's like the stepping stone to adulthood to kill Santa Claus. You know, it's like <laughs> I was a little kid and then I realized Santa Claus is bullshit. And now I'm like on my way to being a a tween or something, you know? And it just, I don't know. I always thought that was funny. It was like, so I have to be open to Bigfoots and shit, but I can't believe in Santa Claus. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, why does, why does everyone want Santa Claus to die? Why is he the one that we all have to ultimately not believe in, you know? Yeah. That's a, that's <laughs> a very good point. A very strange way to look at it. Um, <laughs> I uh, overshare sometimes too. So. Sure, sure. No, but I, I, I like that. that. No, no, no. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, I am going to make one confession. And a, a lot of people like really don't like this uh, for some reason. Like, I, I mean, I, I, I don't think they have a problem with me, but there actually is quite a bit of Christmas music that I like. And I know a lot of people, the, the whole consensus a lot of times is like, Oh my God, I got to put up with Christmas music for the next month or whatever. You know what I mean? There's, there's a part of me that definitely agrees with that. But then there's another part of me that is like, well, well, some of this Christmas music is like really cool. I know it's not a Christmas song at the heart of it, but Canon and D, what is it? Canon and D major or something like that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, Canon and D minor. Do you know the Dr. Octagon album? Uh, by any chance which album sorry dr octagon the yes. cool keith record it's yeah. okay you know that little skit that he does i got to tell you where he's like uh i got to tell you you know and he's he's talking about um oh he's like uh if you want to call me for any rectal surgery oh. <laughs> you know and all this stuff and then he's like you can call one eight hundred PP five one doo doo. I'm in your corner. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. So that song is sampling the you know okay. that that is a horrible rendition of it. But anyway, um, that that's kind of been adopted by Christmas in oh, okay. a large yeah. part because of um, Trans Siberian Orchestra. Right. And um I love that song and it's not because it's a it's a uh now basically kind of a Christmas song or whatever in some people's minds but uh even the Christmas version I like. What's that? You know what's funny though? It's like I would say that Trans-Siberian Orchestra has like made like metal fans open to listening to Christmas. Music, oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I bet very few Christmas fans have started to listen to like 
technical prog metal. <laughs> yeah, no, I doubt it. <laughs> that would be many people are like, man, I, I wish Trans Trans Siberian just played like not Christmas songs. I'd listen to that. Don't you wish the media would do a survey on that? Like so that way, yeah. like that would be the news that we're like reporting. You know, not any of the stimulus bill stuff. I hope shit gets boring enough for that to be the news. Yeah, exactly. Where it's like, oh, yeah, um, record number of uh, Christmas fans, Christmas music fans really got into um, Dream Theater and uh, Blind Guardian this year. Yeah. <laughs> Is Christmas bands an actual demographic? <laughs> Christmas yeah, Christmas fans. I'm pretty into Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that that's probably a true thing. I mean, yeah. <laughs> there's people that are really into Christmas, man. Like, I remember uh, one of my old bosses, uh, one of my old jobs, like, he literally, I mean, he started putting up Christmas decorations the day after Halloween every year. Yeah. And, I mean, he went all out every year he actually took out all, and and then also my uh i mean i know people who actually would go to like the bank and get loans for like christmas presents wow i mean it's just there's some insanity definitely surrounding that's for sure the christmas holiday but yeah um so yeah uh well How i was your christmas well you said that your christmas was um weird and yeah. uh, but it was it was okay it was it was fine right yeah well mine was completely normal and ter terrible oh no i'm just that... i'm just gonna say that no no i'm just being a smart ass uh... um, <laughs> No, I was actually terrible, but I didn't want to be a big buzzkill. No, no, no. It, it really, it really, uh, it really was fine. Um, <laughs> but it really was kind of completely normal other than the whole, you know, pandemic thing that's going on and whatnot. But I mean, uh, aside from all that, it really was just kind of a normal Christmas because we did. It's awesome. We did exactly what we always do, which is cook a meal and watch tv we also watched a couple of christmas movies actually we watched we watched a couple of christmas movies christmas vacation which yeah. in my opinion is that's definitely like a classic um, really yeah yeah well do you think so i love it oh, oh okay i thought i thought for some reason that that really sounded like a sarcastic really no I, see i have this um it's never been diagnosed, but I have a condition, <laughs> I have a condition where uh, I sound like a smartass, and then when someone asks me if I'm being a smartass, the more I try to refute that I'm being a smartass, the more I sound like a smartass. It's terrible. So no, I really, really like Christmas vacation. Have you been? Have you been to the doctor for this? <laughs> unintentional assholeism yeah because <laughs> i might actually know some people um <laughs> but um being sarcastic well it turns out that i have the same condition eric i'm talking to some people about it that's what i was talking about <laughs> yeah i'll take a referral <laughs> <laughs> okay so we'll figure we'll definitely figure that that should be the episode name is unintentional assholeism <laughs> 
I mean, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, real to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, Christmas Vacation. Christmas Vacation, Scrooged, which you mentioned. Uh, yeah. Christmas Story. Mm-hmm. And then we've been, me and my dad have been watching this show that I, uh, at first I didn't like it because I don't think I wanted to like it, mm-hmm. called Yellowstone. Okay. Have you yeah, heard of it? Okay, yeah, it's got Kevin Costner in it, which I don't know. I don't know what people's feelings are about Kevin Costner, but I actually kind of like him. I think he's all right. Yeah. I mean, he's not. (laughs) He's kind of like if Nicolas Cage was a little bit better. (laughs) Yeah. That's true. That's kind of how Kevin Costner. uh, There's that movie that he did with Ashton Kutcher called The the, uh, Guardian that I really like. Oh, yeah. I've never seen that one. Yeah. Either. It's pretty good. Uh, he plays, um, uh, what's that? When people drown, uh, the Coast Guard. He plays okay. like he plays like a captain of a Coast Guard, and and Ashton Kutcher is a student to become a Coast Guard. He's in training. Yeah, pretty good movie. But anyway, um, so let's move on to what this episode is really about. Um, okay. So. We are going to be entering a new year uh, this Friday, January 1st, 2021. And, of course, there's a lot of things that are going to be changing in the year 2021. New administration, uh, possibility of the COVID uh, improving. I mean, like you've said before, Eric, you know look you know look on the bright side that's all we can do you know yeah um, we don't have much of an option so you know <laughs> exactly but um 2020 brought of course a lot of horrible weird things but it also brought a lot of really really great things um as life tends to do and uh some of those things happen to be in the form of new albums and music so we're going to be doing a two-parter here because uh, Eric and I, we, uh, <clears throat> we both, you know, every time that we've, t- you know, I met you probably in the mid-90s, early yeah. 90s, something like that. And every, I, th- I think it's safe to say that every single time that we've ever had an interaction, music has been a part of that interaction one way or another. Yeah. And so... <clears throat> We, uh, me and Eric, we both, uh, we listen to a lot of music, new and old. So we're going to do a two-parter where, um, we are going to talk about the new albums, uh, from 2020 that came out this year on today's episode. And then next week, we're going to talk about the albums that we discovered that weren't released in 2020. And uh, some of them as old as the 60s and 70s, 80s, whatever. Because Eric and I also, uh, we dig for music, as a lot of music fans do. And a lot of times we discover things, well, I'm 40 and you're what, 43, Eric? Yeah, let's go with that. Okay. (laughs) I'm sorry, I probably shouldn't have said that. No, I'm just joking. I'm 44. Okay, 44. Yeah. All right. So, good guess. Um, yeah. it, do you want me to edit that out? 
because I really, okay. <laughs> I really, really could if you really don't want your age to be told. Um, but <laughs> no, I'm all right. Okay, sorry <laughs> about that, but not sorry. It, it's part of that condition that we talked about. Right. Oh, so sorry. I'm so sorry. Like that kids in the hall skit where he's all like, I would like nothing better than to sit here and chat with you. <laughs> Do you remember yeah. that? No, I don't remember it, but it does sound accurate. Okay. All right. <laughs> it sounds comparable. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, I love kids in the hall. But uh, anyway, um, so best of 2020. Yeah. Um, you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting things off. Okay. Now, how do you want to do it? Do you want to do, I do one, you do one, or do you want me to just, should each of us just do our complete list? Let's go back and forth. Go back and forth. Okay. Yeah. And then also, uh, I think we should also talk about our, uh, like, runners up. You know what I mean? Or what, yeah. what did I call them? Not runners up, but uh, honorable mentions. We, yeah. should, we should do our honorable mentions. It, I, I got to tell you, I did not get through all of your honorable mentions. That's uh, fine. Oh, I didn't even. Same here. Same here with I you. Got through, I listened to some of them, though. So, okay. All right. Yeah. I, I think you're doing better than me with the honorable mentions, because I'm not sure if I even got to your honorable mentions. Oh, man. That's probably better than my real picks. Well, I plan, <laughs> I plan to. So don't get me wrong. That's not that's not like me being like, oh, this list is lame. I'm not gonna check honorable mentions. Are you kidding me? Um, but uh, we are going to have a playlist available, right? Yes, we are going to have a playlist. Spotify. So on Spotify. even if Dan or I haven't checked something out from each other, we can look at that. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, when I upload this uh, episode, which should be later this week. Uh, I'll also make a playlist of songs from 2020 that me and Eric discovered. And then next week, uh, I'll also have a playlist of the old stuff, the the new old stuff that we both right. discovered. Cool. Okay, you sure you want me to go first? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so the year 2020, um, I mean, it, it, I want to preface this by saying that, you know, it started off, uh, as a, you know, like a really rad year, actually. <laughs> like, I, uh, I, you know, January and February uh, looked like really, um, you know, it, it actually looked like uh, good times were ahead. <laughs> you know, who knew that we were going to get hit with what we got hit with in March. Yeah. And the reason why I bring that up is because one of the first things that uh, happened in early January and February is... One of my favorite bands of all time from high school, Mr. Bungle, reunited, um, not with the original band that played on the demo, but with the three founding members. So technically, I guess it is the original band. Um, For the most part, I think. Yeah, the three founding members, Mike Patton, Trevor Dunn, and Trey Spruance, and they brought Dave Lombardo from Slayer and Phantomas, who's you know, played in countless projects with uh, Mike Patton already, Phantomas, Dead Cross. Um, yeah. 
He's also got a really underrated project called Film, spelled hmm. P-H-I-L-M. Have you heard that, Eric? Oh, I've never heard that. So really, really great. I really like Lombardo's drumming, though. On uh, everything I've heard, he's yeah. always a standout. He really is. And uh, then Scott Ian from Anthrax on second guitar, which that made me really excited because I'm also a huge Anthrax fan. Um, yeah, So sure. when I heard that, I'll be honest with you. At first, I was kind of put off by it because I was like, so they're getting back together to play a demo that was released in 1986 that they recorded when they were in high school. Right. And I sort of was just not, I don't know. I wasn't too hip to the idea at first, but then, mm -hmm. then I saw the streams of the live shows mm -hmm. and that was the beginning of the year. That was fucking awesome. Where I was like, Okay, Mr. Bungle's going to drop a new old album, <laughs> if you will. And 2020 is off to a great start. And those yeah. live performances were amazing. So, but back then, back in February of 2020, it wasn't for sure that they were actually going to go back to the studio. Oh, um, right. I think, yeah. it was, I think it was kind of like, Honestly, I think those shows were kind of testing the waters of the material. Yeah, I remember that now that there were live performances you could watch, but there was nothing released yet. Yeah, there was nothing released, and they hadn't recorded anything yet. But then right. I, I think what they figured out was that their chemistry worked very, very well. Yeah. Now, it was re it's really easy to just sort of be like, and this was kind of where I was coming from with it. I'm like, so they're going to release a thrash album? When yeah. they put out, this is the same band that put out California, Disco Volante, and the self-titled record. And I made a lot of um, a lot of uh, mistakes thinking because I guess I always thought that Bear and um, uh, Danny Heifetz were original members, but yeah. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that they weren't. That there was a an old drummer by the name of Jed Watts that played on that demo, hmm. the Raging okay. Wrath of the Easter Bunny. And I actually went back and listened to that demo, like on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And uh, man, the recording is of course really bad, but it adds to the, to the charm of it. Um, yeah. So anyway, then it was announced, I think over the summer, they started teasing on their Instagram that they were going to be recording a new album. Um, or at least new material. First thing they put out was a uh, exploited cover, Fuck the USA, I, which I listened to and I was like, oh man, so they're, they're doing, they're do, just doing a punk cover. I hope that they do more, you know what I mean? And it was pretty, it was, it was a good cover. Um, I'm not familiar with the exploited, but it was great. I mean, I was just glad to hear something new from Mr. Bungle, you know? Then it was announced that they're re-recording the entire demo with that lineup and that it's going to be coming out on Halloween. And I was like, hell yes. So on Halloween, I fired up my Spotify and I listened to that record. And that is my first pick, Mr. Bungle, The Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny Demo. So this, nice. this record, again, features Mike Patton, Trevor Dunn, Trace Bruins, 
with the addition of Scott Ian from Anthrax and Dave Lombardo on drums. Uh, and it's just straightforward, kick-ass thrash metal. Um, I mean, it's definitely like a lot different than the three '90s Bungle records. But I mean, yeah. at this point, I mean, let's face it, Mister Bungle has nothing to prove. And also, what changed my mind about, you know, my initial reaction at first mm-hmm. is that I read somewhere or heard somewhere—I don't remember that. The reason why they decided to do this, the reunion this way, is because, number one, they didn't feel that the music on that demo got the attention that it deserved. Mm-hmm. And they were really proud of it. It was the first thing that they recorded in high school. Mm-hmm. And secondly, Mike Patton was just like, well, we could have gotten back together and we could have just done like California in full or something, you know? But that's how everyone does a reunion. And we just thought, well, how could we do a reunion and make it stand out? And luckily, we're a band. He said, you know, that Mr. Bungle's a band that has this odd history of starting out as a thrash metal band. And then, you know, evolving into a ska circus metal Mm-hmm. experimental naked city type thing uh, to whatever, some deranged deconstructed pop band on California. Yeah. And so to hear Mr. Bungle go back to their roots 30 some years later, um, mm-hmm. it was nothing short of astounding. And it's just a really great, a really, really great um, thrash metal record. So, I mean, if anybody who's into like, you know, early Anthrax, Slayer, mm-hmm. any of the big four, um, Voivod, Death, um, Possessed. I mean, even like stuff like Venom. I mean, this this record is for you guys. It's just straight up. Now, my uh, favorite um, songs were the opener, Grizzly Adams, which is a really, mm-hmm. really nice brooding instrumental. Raping Your Mind, which I believe was their first single. Mm. Um, Bungle Grind. I mean, those are all, the whole thing from beginning to end is just fantastic if you're into that. So that's yeah. my first pick. Yeah, I um, I listened through your list, even though I'd already heard this two times. I sure. listened to it again, and I came away feeling better about it. Like yeah. how you described your first uh, kind of opinion of the whole project. Yeah. I'd say I was still there even before this week. Sure. Like, I was just kind of like, I never listened to the original demo for two re- well, three reasons. The first one was, if you were a Mr. Bungle fan in whatever, 89, I think maybe the first record came out. Yeah. Um. There was no way in shit you were going to find this tape. It just was not going to happen. So super hard to find. Super terrible quality. Like when we finally did find it, Chuck Moore found it. And we listened and we were like, what the fuck is this? You know? And then also it just wasn't what I liked about Mr. Bungle. What I liked was kind of the goofiness and sort of like... 
experimental elements of it, and especially when we get to Disco Volante, you know? So, and then I was kind of like, oh, and they just recruited, like, these other dudes or whatever. But then listening to it this week, I sort of, like, let it go a little bit and just, like, let's listen to this with fresh ears, you know? And what I found was I thought it was really well performed. I thought it was nice to hear Dave Lombardo's drums, which are always technical, but never, like, um, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Stationary? Sure. Like, they never just sit there like most thrash drumming does. Like, he always, you can tell there's a human being playing it, and that he understands the dynamics of rhythm, and it's always enjoyable. And, and Scotland's uh, rhythm guitar, I mean, it's just, it It could be argued that Scotty's rhythm guitar is the best rhythm guitar in all of Thrash. Like, it's so chunky and chuggy, and it really is, it separates itself from the other groups at the time in thrash but also just across the board i mean you can just hear it it's like um i don't know it's just it's all it's almost i don't know if he has a really good noise gate but the way that he plays is like almost it's on or off it's almost binary and i think that's amazing and it was really cool to hear it in this context with basically someone that's doing beyond a thrash vocal like this is almost like black metal vocal most of the time absolutely and so what you have sort of at the end of all of that is sort of just like really like party thrash like uh municipal waste or like even anthrax like exodus or something like that it has a little bit of a bounce to it you know, it's not all just gloom and doom and and uh, abrasiveness like you get out of, well, like Slayer, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I thought it was really cool, um, and I really enjoyed it. And, and that's a long way from where I started, which was like, I don't even understand why they're doing this, you know? And so I'm glad that you put it on your list because it gave me a chance to, like, kind of give it another shot and listen to it without the biases that I had all the way back to 1990, basically. (laughs) Well, yeah. And I mean, it's really difficult, I think, to really um, sort of get excited about a new Mr. Bungle album in this way at first. Right. Um, When you're familiar with the three albums that they put out. I mean, because, I mean, let me be clear. I mean, this, I mean, this is a, while this is a great album and on on my list of favorites from 2020, I mean, it'll never touch and very few things, not just a new Mr. Bungle album, but very few things is going to touch the three Mr. Bungle albums. I mean, like Disco Volante is one of my biggest inspirations, as is California. You know, yeah. I mean, and as is the self-titled album too. In fact, I mean, yeah. So it'll never come close to that. But one of the ways 
that I started to appreciate this album was to just kind of listen to it as like, okay, this is its own thing in 2020. You know what I mean? For sure. And, um, yeah, no, I, I couldn't ask. I'm just glad that Mr. Bungle, that those three guys, Mike Patton, Trace Bruins, and Trevor Dunn are playing music together right now. I think um, it's great. I think that's awesome. I think it would be great if they put out another album. Who knows? I mean, it's it's right. hard telling. I think it would be great if maybe they started to incorporate some more of those strange elements from the three albums from Warner Brothers mixed with what they were doing on Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny and right. see where they go from there. See if see if they can go from there. You know what I mean? Who knows? Yeah. It's, for sure. I mean, the future is a blank canvas, you know? That's true. I would, I would if this, uh, if this were to lead to new Bungle music, I'd be pretty stoked on that. And I would understand its importance and appreciate it, you know? Absolutely. And I, I think I do on some level, but honestly, if it did open the door to new music, it would, it would be a really uh, important stepping stone, you know? Exactly. And, you know, the, Maybe this is kind of their way of doing that, sort of being sure. like, hey, you know what? Let's revisit this material we already wrote in 86 when we were teenagers that we still are proud of and still love that the world never really got a chance to hear. Yeah. So that's, I don't know. I, th- I, th- I think that's great. All right. Yeah. So uh, let's move on to your first pick, Eric. All right. Well, Okay, I have to preface this with a couple of things. I don't know anything about these bands or groups or artists compared to Mr. Bungle. Sure, sure. So I'm not going to have a lot of background and and things like that. Maybe a little bit, but... And honestly, I'm probably not even going to know very much at all. It's hard for me to delve into um, artists the way I I did when I was younger, like Mm -hmm. to know everyone they've worked with and who produced the record and what other groups they're in and stuff like that. Like I just don't have the mind for it anymore, I guess. I don't know for sure. But like that used to be my favorite thing would be like name all the side projects of Mr. Bungle, you know, like, but my brain just doesn't work that in, that way anyway not, uh, anymore now. And so, uh, yeah, so I just wanted to preface that. And also, this is going to sound really weird and out of left field, but I will tell you there's a, a form of synthesis, okay, on synthesizers. <laughs> right? uh, yeah, yeah. And it's sort of like FM synth- synthesis, which is, uh, frequency modulation, and that's what they use to get sounds like strings and bells and crap. Okay. Gotcha. Then there's this other form of synthesis uh, called Carpless Strong, and what it does, it's like a... It takes a sound, and then it filters it, and it adds a little bit of like delay to it, almost like a ring modulation. All of this matters only because it makes the sound of like a harp being plucked, essentially. The sound of bomb, 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 kind of like that. Yeah. The only reason I mention that is pretty much every album on my list 
<laughs> features that sound. Yeah. Uh, and prominently. And I don't know what my hang-up is with it, but honestly, if someone just has these little drips and drops of sound in their music, it just does it for me. Sure. And so with that being said, the reason I mention it is because we're doing the playlist on Spotify. You're going to listen through the stuff that I pick and be like, what the fuck, man? Like, seriously, all this is is like dripping water and vocoders. Like, that's <laughs> every <laughs> album. So I just wanted to give everyone fair warning that <laughs> sure. that's, that's my hang up. And that most of my stuff will have elements of that. So Sure, yeah. No, you definitely had some interesting picks, that's for sure. <laughs> so I think if we're going to just, let's try to stay as close to maybe Bungle's sound as we can, or at least the construction. So my first choice is by an artist that goes by Fire Tools. And that's F-I-R-E-T-O-O-L-Z, Fire Tools. The record's called Rainbow Bridge. Um, they're Chicago-based artists. Uh, they go by Angel Mark Floyd. Um, I'm probably saying that wrong. Uh, but I actually got to see her perform here in Iowa City uh, last year, or maybe the year before. Actually, it must have been at least a year or two ago now. Um, but uh, it's... It's an amazing show. Uh, the music, I'll start with that, I guess, is I think it's very um, eclectic and strange and mixes a lot of elements. But it's not so much like Mr. Bungle where everything is like so sectioned off. It's not like, here's some death metal and then here's some circus music and here's some jazz or whatever. This is sort of like, um, I would say that it probably falls under like uh, vaporwave or mall wave music. It sounds kind of like the music that would be in the background of a Windows 95 uh, instruction disc or something, you know? Yes. It sounds very much like 90s um, uh, public domain music, uh, which is all really weird. You know, it just really sounds like that kind of music but then we have a lot of glitch stuff with the beats um and then a, a lot of grindcore elements with the drum beats and with the vocals the vocals come in and it's like straight up grindcore slash black metal vocals um over this seemingly ridiculous public access type music, you know? Um, but then the way they mix it together, it almost becomes really beautiful in its own weird ass way. Um, I feel like there's a lot of joy in it at moments, but also a lot of suffering and you can hear that, I think. And it's like, um, but it's again through this filter of like this ridiculously upbeat, mall music you know like muzak and and so you just you get this really weird interesting sensation from listening to it which i have had a hard time pinning down how it makes me feel uh which is almost a prerequisite at this point with me and music like if i can listen to it and it it has a goal and i know that goal and it accomplishes it 
I'm kind of disappointed. Like I kind of want to be thrown for a loop and not understand what I'm hearing, you know, and, and have to find the meaning myself. Cause the artist, they put it out. They made it the way they wanted it. It's not really up to me to be like, Oh, that sucks. Or I don't get that or whatever. It's up to me to figure out what is this? Why, why does this work? What were they trying to accomplish? And so fire tools in that sense, I think, really makes you work for it. It's challenging. Um, but I do think it's very fun at moments, too. Like the the balance between those kind of ridiculous sounds and that really intense suffering grindcore vocal, it, 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 it's, it's really a lot of fun. Back to the show, though, like I said, I saw her perform here, and they had a screen behind them that had like glitch video production, which I love glitch video stuff, but it was like so perfectly synced that I, I was beside myself. I used to drink, I think back when this, and I probably had a number of drinks. And so that probably helped. Um, but it was probably one of the coolest shows I think I've ever seen. And it was just one person playing a laptop and a guitar with a screen behind them. And it, it blew my mind and I still honestly can't figure out how they accomplished it. So, um, the song I really liked on that one is called prayer for the abuser. And, um, I think I picked that one just cause it really encapsulates the whole sound. Um, it's almost shocking when, when the vocals come in. And, uh, like I said, I think, I think being shocked by music is, sort of a goal for me at this point so anyway yeah yeah, fire tools (laughs) yeah man um i gotta say man when i listen because one of the things that eric and i did was we listened to each other's picks Mm -hmm. and uh i gotta say that this this uh pick it had absolutely no shortage of just um just intensity and um at times I didn't know what the hell I was listening to, but in a good way, it wasn't, it always kept me on the edge of my seat, wondering Mm -hmm. what's going to happen next. Right. And the way that I would describe this release, um, and see, I'm, I'm not, I don't know much about, I've heard the term vaporwave. I've Mm -hmm. heard the term mall wave and things like that. And of course I know what Muzak is and I know what, you know, that kind of, that kind of aesthetic is, but mm-hmm. the way that the only way that I can describe this, and this is a long description <laughs> is it sounded like black metal performed mm-hmm. at times, black metal, I should say yeah. performed through the filter of some weird, like eighties or nineties. And, and you bring up the nineties, um, windows 95 public domain music that's actually very accurate uh of like some weird 80s or 90s japanese anime movie which is yeah for sure i can hear that then perform through like the filter of like something i don't know dubstep uh new age yeah some of the glitch stuff glitch yeah new age music i heard a lot of new age influence in there um Breakbeats, the way the, the way that the glitchiness of the beats 
the breakbeats. That was mind-blowing to me. Um, yeah. And then there's also, like, influences, I would say, from, like, jungle music, techno, uh-huh. and rap. Uh, sure. And th- there's three tracks that particularly stood out to me, and I'm glad you mentioned Prayer for the Abuser, because that was actually the one that caught me the most as well. Yeah. Um, and also the opening track, uh, Gnosis Oozing. Yeah. I mean, that was just like, talk about ripping your face off. Um, and then, yeah. uh, this one is more for the title, but <laughs> craziness of the song itself was great. And that's the follow-up track, track two. It's now safe to turn off your computer. Right. <laughs> I really, really like that. Yeah. Uh, this was a killer release, man. Like, and this is something I'm so glad that we decided to do this because yeah. I've never would have yeah. thought twice about checking out something like this. Like, you know what I mean? I never, I, ne- yeah. I you know, like I never would have even, this probably wouldn't even exist to me if it wasn't for your recommendation eric this well, is the other thing too is if you would have started that first track you probably would have been like what the hell seriously like exactly terrible I, like, it because was you great. don't know what you're hearing quite yet and you know? i i can only imagine the live performance i didn't know you saw her live it was it was mind-blowing uh chris where some I think brought her to town for the feed me weird things. Oh series. wow, wow! Which is like, I mean, I don't want to fanboy out or anything, but Chris's recommendations and the shows that he's brought to Iowa City are just—it's mind blowing. Uh, I can't say enough good things about Chris and feed me weird things. That's awesome. And uh, the I'm blanking on it. The other big festival. Um. <laughs> Uh, Mission Creek? Yeah, of course. Yeah, he brought freaking Black Moth Super Rainbow here last year. Like, that's outrageous. They're like one of my favorite bands ever. And uh, it was actually the last show I got to see with my friend Sean. So it was like, it was just outrageously cool. And uh, yeah, I can't say enough about Chris. But um, I never would have heard of, of this without him bringing them to Iowa City, for sure. It's amazing. I, I wouldn't have found this either. So that's the thing is like, you know, uh, someone always has to tell someone else about something, except maybe Chris. He apparently knows of every good band in the world. <laughs> yeah. Other people have to have someone to help them kind of find new things. You know, uh, I yes. especially absolutely. have a find new things. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay. So move on to my yeah, second sure. pick then. Okay. So this one is... Um, I feel kind of like Mr. Bungle doesn't really require a lot of explanation. I don't know how to pronounce this band name 100%, but I'm just going to go with one of two ways that I think one of them is the right way. (laughs) And that's either Koriki or Koraiki, which that cracks me up because Koraiki makes me think of the crocodile hunter. Yeah. Koraiki. (laughs) Koraiki. Right maybe, that's, maybe it's a tribute to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. Uh, I think it's Koraki, though. Or, Kor- yeah. uh, you know, I think that's what it is. But anyway, um, yeah, this one doesn't really quite require a lot of explanation because I think most of the people who um, 
are Fugazi fans are, you know, going to know about this one. But I don't know. Maybe there's not a lot of Fugazi fans that listen. So just in case, um, in case that is, that might be so, uh, this is a new band with Ian McKay, which that is the proper way to say his name. I've been saying Ian McKay for years. Um, but I guess... <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess Mackay is the right way to say it. Just like I've been saying Guy Pichotto or something like that, where I guess it's like Guy Picciotto. Um, I don't even know who Guy Pichotto is. <laughs> he's the uh, second guitarist in Fugazi. Um, oh, okay. The other singer. Well, actually, they have three singers because bassist Joe Lally, who is also in this Crikey, no. crikey band. This is going crikey. Crikey. Um, but uh, anyway, he. Uh, okay, so this is the 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 backstory to this. I I think because I'm sure that this band is heavily related to the Evens, which is a group that uh, Ian McKay um, was in with his wife uh, Amy Farina. Um. Mm-hmm. They were a two-piece, and in that two-piece, they um, Ian plays a baritone guitar, and right. then Amy plays drums. Really good. They released three records. Uh, the uh, self-titled... Um, no, wait. Not self-titled. Get, Get Evens, and I don't remember what the... Or maybe it is self-titled. I don't remember. I know that they got a record called Get Evens, which I thought was kind of... That's good. I, yeah, that's yeah. a good one. But there's three of them, and I, I'm having a hard time remembering. I do think that the first one was self-titled, but I could be wrong about that. It's been a while since I've listened. But anyway, so they put out three records. Um, and then Koriki, or Kroiki, <laughs> is um, Ian and Amy Farina with Joe Lally, who was Fugazi's bassist. Um, and so they're a trio. And the music is somewhere between Fagazi's last album, The Argument, and The Evens. I mean, it, you know, there, there's no surprises here. It's not, you know, they're not doing some crazy, like, glitchy fire tools, Windows right. 95 public domain music album or anything like that. Uh, or some black metal album, although it'd yeah. be fantastic to hear Ian McKay do a black metal album um <laughs> but uh or maybe it wouldn't be fantastic I don't know uh but yeah man it's this is just kind of the logical progression of a new album from these musicians uh it's yeah. great if you're a fan of Fugazi if you're a fan of the Evens if you're a fan of just the discord sound in general um, I think, you know, you're going to like it. It's really clean guitar, really, um, it's, it's a little bit more melodic than of course, Fugazi, uh, even though the argument, they kind of started to get a little mo- more melodic than their previous albums, but it definitely has like a warm tone, warm kind of feel to it. Um, and I'm going to have to say that my favorite track is the opening track, Clean Kill, um, and that's the one that I would, you know, I'm, well, I mean, it's the first track. So if you're right. going to listen to the record, that's going to be the first thing you hear. But yeah, from beginning to end, I just think this is a fantastic record and 
definitely yeah. one of my favorites. And a lot of that has to do with, of course, and you know this, Eric, my uh, just passion about Fugazi. They're sure. one of my... They are... Pro well, okay, I have... 60 favorite bands <laughs> like you know what i mean like but fugazi is at the top i mean it's fugazi influenced everything and changed i mean i you know it, it gets cheesier and cheesier when you get older to talk about how music changed your life you know but fugazi really did because they they were the first band that I can say that made me pay attention to the DIY way of doing things. Sure. Um, which I think they were that for a lot of people my age. Mm -hmm. um, makes sense. Um, but also they, um, they were kind of the first band that I heard that really did like the whole, I can't really think of a better way to describe it, but jagged, sort of sound or tone that sort of i don't know like playing music playing the guitar but not really playing chords yeah you know what, what i mean what angular work yeah angular that's that's the the best way to describe it like ian ian and gee were not really playing like your standard chords hardly sure. ever in fugazi mm -hmm. But then back by an amazing rhythm section, because Joe Lally and Brennan Canty, to me, are one of the best rhythm sections in rock and roll, period. Um, mm -hmm. Hardcore, indie, punk, or not. Doesn't matter. Like, I would put them up against some of the, some of the greats, you know what I mean? And in my opinion, you know what I mean? Because uh, mm -hmm. to me, they are one of the greats. But, like... Um, I mean, they had a huge effect on the way that I wrote music. I mean, I think anybody who, you know, knew me when I was like, I don't know, 17 could attest to that because all of a sudden I'm playing those non-chords. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like all of a sudden I'm interested in, you know, uh, playing, uh, I'm more interested in sounds than I am actual music theory, you know? Yeah. Things like that. But Fugazi found a way to meld like a certain sense of melody mm -hmm. in with it and harmony that I think a lot of other bands that were doing that style really weren't able to do or really didn't do. Like Fugazi right. did it so differently. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the documentary Salad Days. No, I haven't. It's about the DC hardcore scene. Somebody was talking about, there's a part where they talk about like the 90s alternative music boom and they talk about like Fugazi. And they say that really at their heart, at the heart of Fugazi, what they really are is a great arena rock band. <laughs> and I started thinking about that and it's like, you know, really that's kind of not too far from the truth. Like, mm -hmm. if you really think about, like, I mean, obviously they weren't an arena rock band. They weren't Aerosmith or anything like that. But there's no reason why they couldn't have been. 
And I'm glad that they weren't. I'm glad that they chose not to be. <laughs> but those songs are really anthemic. I mean, oh, yeah. waiting yeah. waiting room. Mm-hmm. I mean, they play that at baseball games in D.C. Did you know that? No, I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, it, that's weird. It's weird. Ian McKay was asked about it in an interview, and he's like, oh, that, that's weird. I didn't know that. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that's really, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> really, really interesting. So, yeah, um, yeah. Karaiki or yeah, Karaiki or Koriki or whatever it is, great album. I would definitely recommend checking it out. I, I really liked it, too. I, um, I'm not as into Pagazi as you. Uh, actually, I'm not even into Pagazi as much as most any person you would find at any show anywhere. It's not that I don't like him. I love everything I've ever heard by him. I just haven't put the time in, to be honest. Sure, sure. And it was always funny because, well, it's always funny when someone tells you something you're working on sounds like someone else, and then you've never heard that something else. Yes, that's happened to me several times. It's really hilarious. Like, uh, I think somewhere online someone compared my new record to Galaxy 500, who I've never heard, Ooh. and I always thought they were like a uh, like a cock rock band, Ooh. like Fu Manchu or something. No, no, no. Whoa, that's actually like a very accurate comparison. That's hilarious. Yeah, because I've never, but it happens to me all the time. And it's like really important shit too. Like where I just think that it's not, that one band is a different band. So Like I just think their name, I'm like, oh, that fucking band, blah, blah, blah. So, not knowing that it's super important. So anyway, sorry for that little No, 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 that's off. okay. Yeah. I'm sorry for going off about Fugazi, but hold up, hold up, hold up. So you've never heard Galaxy 500? No, I've never heard of Dude, I highly recommend <laughs> listening to just one album from them. I listened to one song because I was okay. like, why are they comparing me to this seriously like Al- uh, Alabama Thunder Pussy? <laughs> That's what I they were like, for real. Um, and so I listened to it and I was like, okay, I can sort of see it. It's slow and well, vocals are high and like it's twangy, I guess. you know. I really only like one album from them. And that is the album called Today. Okay. Um, that record, I would yeah. highly recommend checking it out, Eric. I think you would like it, and I think you would also find out why people are comparing you to that. Because honestly, that slipped my mind. Like, I no, that's actually a very accurate. I, I don't even remember why I brought that up. It was something to do with getting compared to things that you've never heard absolutely no, absolutely my brain is stupid no anyway, no yeah that's... yeah i've never really listened to them but everything i've ever heard i really like i just haven't like i said i haven't put the time in but um so yeah what i hear in this a lot though and i've always heard it in Gagazi too is a lot of Minutemen influence absolutely and i think it personally sounded like that's a little more on display in this project than Fugazi even. Um, because I don't ever think from the Fugazi I've heard that they were scared of melody by any means, but it's almost like they're embracing the melody on this one, you know, 
like they're it just seemed a little more melodic and calmer and like a little like they let the songs find themselves a little bit yeah um, which actually reminded me of black mountain if you've ever listened to black mountain yes yes um moments in it kind of reminded me of that so um i'm actually going to probably talk about black mountain a little bit later i swear <laughs> i listen to more bands than just black mountain but if you had to pick one band i don't know it's pretty good yeah um but, I, can, I really like how uh, bass-driven it is, which Bugazi was like that as well. Well, if uh, you if you listen to, real quick, um, yeah, a, a quick note about the melody thing. Um, yeah. Have you heard the argument, the Fugazi's last album that they put? No, out? I haven't heard it. No. Okay, if you listen to that album, I think you would understand where the melody kind of comes from a little bit more like uh because um the direction that they were heading in with the argument uh i think was like almost like the pre uh like almost like the prelude to like the evens which i would recommend checking that out into like this karaiki there's a lot of stuff on here that reminds me of that last fagazi album but the minutemen is that's a very interesting comparison. I, I would agree with that 100%. Well, for me, mostly it's that they have this way of... Um, this is going to sound like I'm being negative. I swear I'm not. Their harmonies are not accurate harmony. Oh, they're, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they're generally off-key, which it, I am sure is on purpose Well, for, I... for Fugazi. But I don't know if it was on purpose for the Minutemen. Yeah. I kind of feel like they just couldn't sing together. <laughs> well, um, I have a... It's funny you say that because <laughs> I read a review of a Fugazi record. I think it was End Hits, which was uh -huh. the second to last record they put out. And mm -hmm. uh, the reviewer was like, honestly, can this band please just release a bad record so that way... I can start actually making fun of Ian McKay and Guy Pachotto's voice. Right. <laughs> like, because honestly, like, because literally every Fugazi record is a banger. I mean, yeah. I, it's hard for me to pick. A, they're one of the few bands that I can honestly say has never made a bad record, you know? And so, uh, yeah. It, and, and, like, but it's like, like and, that, and that's coming from like a band. I mean, there are mm -hmm. bands that have way, way better singers and harmonizers, like you're saying. Oh no, but that's the thing is, and that's that's the one thing I really liked it, about Fugazi. The few times I've heard them, exactly. Was that I just thought that was such an interesting thing, and it is really pretty in its own way. But like, how are you gonna go from minor threat to? To the Everly Brothers. You know, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't just have it be well, really amazing harmonies. Like, you have to add that degree of tension and dissonance in order to still convey your uh, your passion or anger or whatever it might be. You know, like, I'm not saying people that harmonize can't express themselves. I'm just saying you're kind of locked into it at that point where this sort of off-key harmonizing, it adds a layer of, 
of dissonance to it that it, it I don't know. It really, like I said, I my experience is pretty limited, but the one thing I truly always liked was just how much bass was on it, how bass forward the whole thing is, and those off-key harmonies. It's just yes. awesome. And all of that is just really on display on this record. So I think it's awesome. No, absolutely. And um, it, it's interesting, too, that you mentioned um, the uh, where do you go from, how, how could you go from Minor Threat to the Everly Brothers? One of the <laughs> reasons why Minor Threat broke up, I guess, is because mm-hmm. everybody in the band wanted to become a more commercially viable band. And so they left a note on Ian's doorstep that basically had a list of demands of, you know, what they wanted to accomplish as a band going, going forward. And, uh, I guess supposedly according to, um, our band could be your life that, that book, I guess that, um, they had they were starting to write some new material that started to sound like U2. Wow. So it would have been interesting if Minor Threat would have stayed together and been like, okay, let's let's do the major label thing, you know what I mean? There's yeah. a really yeah. good chance that if Ian wouldn't have rejected those demands, that Minor Threat would have gone in like a commercial direction and wow. we probably would not know anything about them you know yeah i mean because honestly like they probably would have been that classic alternative rock story you know sign a major label and put out a record and who knows maybe they would have been wildly successful it's interesting to think about stuff like that yeah (laughs) either way i'm glad that what happened happened (laughs) you know yeah Um, it was a really good pick though i like that one a lot cool cool all right so uh, go forward, Mr. Uh, Eric Whitaker. <laughs> Eric Whitaker. Whitaker. I was going to write a song about you, actually, at one time. <laughs> but the last name didn't rhyme with anything, so you just had to give it up. I think um, the chorus was actually going to go Eric Whitaker, but like, I didn't really want to use your name because I thought that you would have found that weird. <laughs> no, go for it. <laughs> well, no, it was like, it was a moment of like, kind of like where I was just like, this guy writes really, really great songs. Like Gimpy with Sparkles or it was probably in response to like Gimpy with Sparkle. You know how, how much I love that song Party. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I still love great. that song. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I li- sorry. <laughs> I listened to that not that long ago and I was not as ashamed of it as I usually am. So dude, that's, that's a good thing. (laughs) I fuck. I, I still love it. I still love that whole record. It still makes my, it still makes my playlist in the van on semi, a semi regular basis. Wow. So yeah, no, I'm not shitting you at all, dude. Not shitting you at all. Anyway, sorry to get a little awkward there. (laughs) So I guess my next one, I got to be honest, my first choices and my honorable mentions are almost completely interchangeable. Okay. I, I don't, all, all of them are equally on my list, but. Yeah, that's uh, same here, same here. So the next one I'll pick is by Earth Eater. Okay. It's one word, Earth Eater. Um, the record's called Phoenix. 
flames are due upon my skin. So this artist's name is Alexandra Drew Chin uh, from New York, I think, probably Brooklyn, I would guess. <laughs> but they go by Earth Eater. Um, again, it has a lot of those drippy, plucked, harp kind of sounds. I would even go as far to say that this record musically for the most part might be neoclassical like it has a lot of classical elements to it um but it also has a lot of ambient sound it has a lot of noise elements um it jumps around a lot it lulls you into like these moments that are really mellow and you could almost think that it was really accessible regular music but then something will glitch out or a vocal will become highly affected or um changed uh the singer actually does have a three octave range and you can hear that throughout but then they do have a lot of other things that are affected um and changed i just i i again one of my prerequisites for music is sort of like that it has to be pretty challenging. Like I want to go into it and not understand not only how they constructed it and created it, but how they wrote it and performed it and the influences on it and where it came from and everything like that. If all of that can be called into question within a song, then I think that, that somebody's really doing a great job and really pushing the boundaries. And I would say for sure, this record pushes the boundaries. Um, like I said, I would say it's almost classical for the most part, except that it's not, it's an illusion. And it, it's funny because the cover, the, the performer, the, the aesthetic of the whole thing, the visual aesthetic of the whole thing, is almost like, I don't even understand it, like hip hop almost. like. If you look at the cover, you'll be like, ooh, what the hell? Why is this guy telling me to listen to this? Like, it looks sexualized and stylized and like pop or hip-hop or something. But, you know, the cover, who cares? It's like what's on the record. And what's on the record is really beautiful, poignant, insane music. So the song I really liked on that one is called Below the Clavicle. I think that it shows uh, pretty much what the rest of the album has to offer with the exception of some of the longer ambient noise pieces, um, but definitely shows off the classical element of it and the definitely the vocal performance and range of the artist. So, um, yeah, Earth Eater. I don't know. What do you think, Dan? Well, <laughs> um, I listened to it, and uh, I got to say that um, it was a very, uh, like Fire Tools, it's nothing like fire tools um, in some sense, but in, in another sense, like where you're talking about the challenging aspect of the music, mm -hmm. there were parts of it that definitely reminded me of that sort of approach that you got to take to listen to something like this. Um, yeah. I, I really liked the sort of like, again, like folky new age parts of it. I yeah. think there was some really just gorgeous, beautiful music on this. 
Yeah, um, for sure. And uh, it put me in mind, even though I don't think it sounds like these artists, but I think you could kind of compare them to like something along the lines of like Joanna Newsom. Sure, I or, can hear that, especially with the the harp sounds. Yes, yeah. and like Chelsea Wolf. Um, I don't know Chelsea Wolf. Okay, yeah. yeah, it's it it just the ambient sort of like. I don't want to say noise because it's not it's not noise music at all. It's like for sure. definitely yeah. has that like you said classical. Uh, it really puts you in the mood. For me, this is the type of music that I would put on if I was like in the mood to chill out. You know what I mean? Right. To like just sort of um, that that's I'll, I'll come out and just say it. This is not something that I would listen to every day by any means. <laughs> It's yeah. not, you know, some people would, some people love this kind of stuff, you know, and are passionate about this kind of, this kind of, I have friends that I think would probably make this a daily listen on their playlists, you know, for sure. Yeah. But it's, it's not something that I would listen to every day. That being said, though, it was so fascinating that um, after I listened to the first two or three tracks, I didn't want to shut it off or anything because I just wanted to know. Uh, it's like fire tools. And I guess yeah. not to compare those two at all, but like, you know, because they're two totally different things. At the same time, though, they both have that sort of adventurous feeling to them where it's like, what's next? What, what, right. are, you, what are you going to do next? What, what, uh, what are you going to bless my eardrums with now? And right. uh, so while it's not, necessarily something that I would listen to all the time. Um, it still was a, a very fascinating, enjoyable listen. I mean, right. it was definitely like a, a great pick. I could see why you were mesmerized by it, as was I. And it just really, um, it's one of those records that doesn't make sense, but makes sense both at the same time. Right. Yeah, I think so too, for sure. Very, yeah. very interesting, interesting stuff. Um, I like the. I like. By the way, I also like the name Earth Eater. Yeah, That's, it's so weird though, right? If you saw that record in the store, you looked at the cover, right? Yeah, yeah. It it uh, it's basically like a lady, and I assume that's Earth Eater. Yeah, and yeah. She, I think, might have little nub wings or something, but has very strange hair. Yeah, it looks. Like maybe something out of the movie The Cell or something. Yeah, um, they're just like shooting sparks up or hoo ha. My first, like... <laughs> my first impression was that it was going to be a doom metal album. Right, and then it's called Earth. <laughs> exactly like but you can't make out what you're about to hear, and then the second it starts, you're like, what the hell? Some How of is this? some of her what? um, the, her her voice too in parts. Um, again, this kind of goes back to the Joanna Newsom sort of thing uh -huh. as well, but where she really got like these like high octaves in her voice, like yeah. she really got to that. Uh, it almost also put me in mind of like, uh, Devenger Banhart a little bit yeah. like that, that sort of like, I guess like the way that I would describe this record would be like freak folk new age or something huh. like yeah i don't really know like yeah it's 
it's such a record that's hard to really pin down. Well, see, and it's funny because I have been listening to a lot of music in the last year or two that seemingly was unconnected. All I knew is, like, like I said, it had this water drips kind of thing, super affected vocals. Um, sometimes it was hip-hop, like Young Lean. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The... Um... I, I know who you're t- you're talking yeah, about the uh, it's like, poison it's that like band rap, you know. It's just like, but the music's all like flop, flop, flop. Yes, and just it's very drippy and weird. And he's sitting there just talking about being drugged out and and a scurve, Depart- essentially, which is yeah. great on its own level. But and then at the end of my year, my Spotify Wrapped or whatever, it said uh, my favorite genre was escape room. <laughs> And I was like, what the hell is escape? What the hell? I've never heard of that at all. And I still don't know what it means, but (laughs) somehow it encapsulates all this stuff that like just has real glitchy electronic vocoder-esque vocals, uh, beats, like glitchy beat, this sort of harp washed out mellow element to it mm-hmm. i don't know how it's a genre but apparently that's all i listen to so wow. um and, <laughs> yeah and that that's that um young lean that's that uh poison ivy yeah he has a record out this year that i almost put on here too um i really i really love it it's uh you know as i get older i realize i'm never going to be able to relate with most of the musicians that I listen to anymore. Yeah. So for yeah. me, like, oh, I don't want to listen to some 20-year-old who's just on drugs and, and like, super depressed and all into self-harm and shit. Like, I just don't, re- re- you know, I can't relate with that or whatever. I'm not going to relate with almost all of these people, they, to be they, honest. They, unless, they, unless someone starts putting out records about, like petting their cat while they watch Netflix. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to relate. So, you know, I think that's kind of the, the big thing is I, I don't have anything in common with almost everyone I listen to. And that's good because who cares? You now, know, like, if, if only we could get the 20 year olds to think that, think like <laughs> that about the 40 year olds. Like, well, I'm never going to relate to any of these, uh, drug taking rappers that I'm listening to. So maybe this 40 year old who's singing all about, you know, inspiration, right. <laughs> you know, or, you know, uh, uh, the, the question is, is are the 20 year olds going to be into the 40 year olds that are, uh, you know, rapping about self harm. <laughs> we should find, we should find out. Yeah. Like make a fucking like 40 year old yeah. rap duo. <laughs> <laughs> See what happens. Self-harm is just eating like a large pizza. Dude, that would be the name of the rap duo, Self-Harm. Uh, okay. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Sound good? All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll make some beats tonight. <laughs> that sounds freaking awesome. And we'll just like, you know, wrap them to the best of our ability. Well, actually, I mean, we, we can just use the... Uh, I think we sh- I think we should call it cell like S E L L farm F A R M. Cell farm, oh yeah. yeah, dude, Eric, 
right. When we're able to actually, when people are able to actually get together and like start jamming again, I am dead 100% serious. We should start a band called Cell Farm. And it's going to be 40-year-old hip-hop? <laughs> well, it doesn't have to be 40-year-old hip-hop. That was, oh, okay. that, was right. that was half serious. Um, <laughs> but, like, no, no, for real, though. Cell Farm. <laughs> that I is... I would have expected talking about Earth Eater to make us start a band. Like, dude. <laughs> there are so many possibilities, Eric. Let's... <laughs> For real though, let's keep that in the um, let's keep that in the books. Um, All right, I already designed a logo just now. Awesome, awesome. You know, dude, we could actually just do it even like over the internet, start starting right. out. For real. Okay. Anyway, so <laughs> this this podcast is the formation of our new band. Um. Uh, but anyway. Uh, okay, so where were we? Uh, I think you were about to take a turn. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's right. Uh, I was going to take a turn. Um, so this is my third pick. Wow, we're already at my last one. We're at our last ones now, aren't we? Yeah, unless it, you want to do one honorable mention as well or something like that. Yeah, or, yeah. I mean, I could, for me, I could list off all of my honorable mentions and just, like, I don't have to talk about my honorable mentions. I would just say... Or just okay. quickly, because I have like 20 honorable mentions. Yeah. I so. only I kept it to three. Okay. So. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, we'll we'll, uh, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Yeah, that's right. I guess uh, I probably should have just kept it at three. But part of it was because I had to make a list to be like, okay, which ones did I like the best? Right. Uh, maybe I'll pick my three favorite honorable mentions. But anyway, before I do that, I'm going to have to pick my third favorite. So, um this comes from a rap group that I discovered actually only like a couple of weeks ago by accident. And, um, well, okay. I guess I'm going to reveal two of my, um, two of my, uh, honorable mentions, uh, to preface this anyway. Oh, um, okay. So this hip hop duo called mm. dueling experts. This is yeah. a, um, they're on mellow music group who, for anybody who's familiar with Mellow Music Group, um, they remind me of Definitive Jux in the early 2000s. That was where, that was the period in the label that really got me into hip hop, as weird as it may sound. I mean, obviously I was into like a lot of the more popular stuff. Yeah, you know, like I knew yeah. Dre and Snoop and Outkast and all that stuff. I, Missy Elliott, whatever. I liked yeah. all that stuff. But the the definitive Jux label, when I first heard like Cannibal Oxes, The Cold Vein, Aesop Rocks, right. uh, Labor Days, and what else was on there? Mr. Lify, Phantom, Murs, and LP, and all that stuff. I yeah. mean, that really opened the doors. And also Dr. Octagon and Cool Keith. That really yeah. opened the doors to a whole other world of hip hop that I didn't really even know existed. And Dueling, yeah. Dueling Experts is this duo of... Uh, Verbal Kent, and I feel horrible because I can't remember the other dude's name. Um, and uh, Verbal Kent is one of the rappers. And a friend of mine, Travis, he sent me um, the second Dueling Experts album called Sand the Floor and said, you should listen to this because I think this is the type of rap that you'd be into. 
I listened to it and I was like, yeah, this is my stuff right here. It's mm-hmm. kind of got that old school boom bap, but it's also like really lyrical and also just really like, um, uh, just it's the style that I that I like. It's got that Wu Tang sort of aesthetic, that underground grimy thing going on a little bit. And then I found out that they uh, that was the second record they put out this year, and uh, they actually put out their first record at the beginning of the year, which was Dueling Experts self titled. So mm-hmm. the reason why I'm mentioning this is because Verbal Kent was also part of a hip hop trio called Iron Wigs. And this trio, I know for a fact, uh, it consists of Verbal Kent, this other rapper named Vic Spencer, and then producer named Sonny Jim. They put out this record called Your Birthday's Canceled, which I think actually just came out like a couple months ago. Like it's not that old at all. And I discovered it by accident because I think it was on recommendation uh after i listened to the dueling experts records and i thought ah, eh, well okay i'll listen to it and i was just blown away like this the thing is like okay with hip-hop i love rap music but i'm also very particular about it um mm. i have certain things that you know, I like about the rap music that I like. You know what I right. mean? And so, like, you know, like, I, I re- you know, I really, like I said, I really like the lyrical sort of boom bap sort of stuff, the backpack rap, if you will. That's the kind of stuff that I dig. Um, mm-hmm. But I also, you know, do like some of that newer stuff. Like you mentioned, the Young Lean. I find that kind of stuff some of that stuff very interesting as well. Um, Mm -hmm. The thing that really grabbed me about this release is that um, the production on it uh, was just mind-blowing. It was very abstract, very Mm -hmm. psychedelic, a bunch of weird beats. It really has the mad villain feel to it. Like, if you're familiar with, like, MF Doom and the Mm -hmm. mad villain record and Mad Lib... It really puts me in mind of something that like Mad Lib would have produced or Jay Dilla or uh, DJ Shadow, um, you know, E-Dan. Um, I mean, all kinds of like, it, it puts me in mind of that kind of stuff because it's really spacey and weird. And at times it even feels like uh, the beats don't, match with the flow and i think that that's kind of purpose uh you know i think that's done on purpose right. i, I kind of like the off kilter type stuff anyway um mm-hmm. and the other thing that i find really interesting is i think vic spencer is british as well so you got like that sort of british monotone sort of rap that mm-hmm. you know it, it you know and then then that is kind of that's going against like um, verbal Kent, who's got a really just in your face, like, you know, method man, ghost face killer sort of style, like hardcore sort of style of rap. And that sort of like bouncing back and forth of each other, um, yeah. that, the lyricism and the way that those guys, you know, play off of each other over the beats that are being made by Sonny Jim. 
is just absolutely outstanding. If you're a fan of the Mad Villain record, if you're a fan of Dr. Octagon, if you're a fan of uh, uh, like any of the 2000s sort of like um, anti-pop consortium, sort of the weird, you know, like nerdy, I hate to use the word nerdy, but that's kind of what it is, like DJ Shadow, stuff like that. Um, I think that this is the kind of stuff that is free. It really, really puts me in mind of Mad Villain, though. The Mad Villain record, the collaboration between MF Doom and Mad Lib. Psychedelic, experimental. couple of tracks that really just blew my mind. The uh, Super Crew. And then uh, my favorite track is, I, I'm probably going to sabotage the pronunciation, but I think mm. it's Bizelles and Gazelles. Mm. And then there's another one called Rags to Riches. Riches. The thing about Bazels and Gazelles that blew my mind, though, is that it's they like deconstructed this. And I don't know if they're if he's actually sampling like an old like classic rock riff, like a real classic rock riff, or if maybe he's just playing playing it himself. I don't know. But he like deconstructs this almost like Black Sabbath or Blue Cheer sounding like riff. And mm-hmm. then these two guys are just rapping over it. Yeah. I love it, man. This is, you know, the hip hop album of the year, as far as I'm concerned. And, um, I mean, that's, it's even over like run the jewels Four, which I thought was fantastic. Um, Aesop rock put out a new record called spirit world field guide atmosphere. Another one of my favorite rappers put out a new one this year. Um, Public Enemy put out a new record, which I haven't heard, but I heard is really good. And then Vanguard, which is a uh, collaboration between Mr. Liff and, uh, again, I feel really, feel horrible. I don't remember who the other person is that he's collaborating with on that record. But Mr. Liff was another rapper on Definitive Jux. This, this is my kind of, my kind of hip hop. I really like just the weird sort of experimental hip hop. And the thing that I really like about what, the mellow music artists seem to be doing is they're they're kind of keeping a I don't want to say dying form of hip hop, uh-huh. but it kind of is um, sure. at least in terms of in terms of um, what's considered relevant nowadays in hip hop. Um, mm-hmm. They're taking this dying form and they're kind of they're keeping it alive without like this sort of boomer attitude behind it they're like they're just like you know what this is just the stuff that we like that we're going to put out and it's available for you if you want it and if you don't that's cool go listen to you know whatever it is that you you know cardi b or whatever it is that's on the radio and that's that's fine we're not going to judge you know what i mean that's kind of the feeling i get from it is like like this like i'm glad that there's still like people out there that are keeping that form of rap music alive because there are still people out there um who i think and even the young even some young kids that want to hear lyricism in rap music and it's not because oh well i think that that stuff is just so much more superior like back in the day type of bullshit you know what i mean because i don't i don't I used to be like that. You know what I mean? When I was younger, ironically, (laughs) but um, now it's like, I don't care. I I 
could care less what the kids are listening to. But I'm just glad there's somebody out there that's catering that kind of music yeah. to me. So what what uh, what did you think of Iron Wigs? Uh, I thought it was really cool. I also did not know if these were samples or if these were played in the studio. Yeah. A lot of the samples kind of reminded me of, I don't know, like how like Q-Tip maybe would use like really extended samples. Absolutely. Like you didn't even know necessarily where the sample, where the loop happened. Because it would be like a long ass part of like a jazz song or something. Um, and you would get kind of lost, you know. And I noticed that in this, uh, the samples are really long. So long, in fact, that they feel like parts versus a five-second loop or something. Right, you know? aw- right away, when you mentioned Q-tip, that's yeah. a very good comparison. The other thing that comes to mind after you mentioned Q-tip is Prince Paul. Right, I was thinking that too, exactly. Uh, especially on those first three De La Soul records, which to me, right. to me, the first four De La Soul records are... Four of the best hip-hop albums ever released. That's what I've heard from a lot of people. To be honest, I've listened through them maybe only a few times. <laughs> yeah, they're they're right up uh, there. What I kind of feel like De La Soul were kind of tribes. So, well, I mean, they were in the same crew, the Native Tongue. But right. I kind of feel like they were sort of like like the whole native tongue crew, like they needed tribe called quest to be, I guess, accessible. Yeah. And then De La Soul were kind of like tribes, weirder, nerdier cousins. Yeah. And that's what I got from this was like, it's experimental to, uh, to a point. Yeah. But this is not, I wouldn't put this in experimental hip hop by any means. I would say that, it's really well done. It takes a lot of chances. It's super interesting. But at no point was I knocked off the course, if you will. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, when you listen, like you said, Run the Jewels. Like, the whole thing is you getting knocked off course. The whole thing is yeah. you not knowing where you are. And this was not like that. This was super, like, funny at times. I felt yeah, like they were doing yeah. different voices, almost like characters. Yes. Um, it was really strange, uh, but the production was killer. And like I said, I don't even know if these are samples or if they played these parts and looped them. I could tell that they played some things live over, like some of the guitar solos were really like off key and almost weenish. Like it was a yes. lot of fun. But in that this- in that sense, I would I I would almost say that's where you could say that it kind of is experimental. But I would say maybe like a little bit more, maybe a better description instead of experimental would be like just maybe just weird or or just, you know, like psychedelic, you know, or just very strange. Yeah. Again, I would say that this is like, in my opinion, in my estimation, and there's maybe a lot of people out there that would disagree with me here. I, I think if you're a fan of MF Doom, and the production of like those records, especially the Mad Villain record and like Mad Libs production, this is this is the type of record that if that's the hip hop for you, 
this is the type of record for you in like the year 2020. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this is, and that's probably why it grabbed me so far, <laughs> you know, so quickly. Like, but yeah, no, I, I can almost see where it had like almost like a ween of hip hop sort of feel to it. Well, and not that it was novel by any means, right. but just that they willing to like, you know how hip hop, a lot of it's just peacocking and posturing and bragging. Sure. Or like violence and threats and like, I didn't get that at all from this. Like, right. This was just enjoyable and like light, you know, almost like, which, almost like the beastie boys or something. You yeah. Know? It was just kind of light, which is rare. Yeah, you know? very, very rare. And I also just like the weirdness, the oddness and quirkiness of like, again, like the British guy rapping as well. Like that, you know what I mean? It put me in mind of like just a couple guys getting high on the couch recording yeah, rhymes sure. or something. Like it just really yeah. has that sort of, and I just generally don't like, I've listened to a lot of British rap and I could never really get into it. But for some reason, hmm. whoever this guy is, Vic Spencer, if that's if that's his name, or maybe the British guy is just somebody who guessed a lot on it. I'm not sure, but um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, very very um, uh, it works. It works very well with this record. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. So uh, last pick, Eric. Uh, my last pick is also a hip hop record. Um. Which is somewhat rare. I would say that anyone that hangs out with me, which uh, now that I think about it, is no one. But, you know, <laughs> like COVID-related, it might be other reasons. I don't know. But I don't listen to a lot of hip-hop in general. And I would say I had almost no interest in it until a few years ago I found some chopped and screwed down stuff that I really enjoyed well some of that stuff is really uh, neat mostly uh og ron c um and the record texas motherfucker specifically <laughs> um what and it actually name. like influenced a lot of my music listening in general because as with like a lot of chopped and screwed stuff it just sounds like it's doing the same thing for like four minutes straight you know and it's just so slow. But I noticed that they were changing tiny little things throughout the song. Like, all of a sudden, there would just be... It was almost like dub. It was like there would just be delay on one word. Or, like, the hi-hats would drop for just a second. Or whatever. The music would skip or something. Like... And you'd have to listen to the song. You'd have to be like three minutes in before they just added this sample of like some strings for no reason at yeah, all, except yeah. that they're just drinking a lot of cough syrup. And <laughs> I just got so into the production of that that I almost started to use that to filter through other things that I listen to. And like the other things I've said tonight, there's elements of that where it's just like, okay, the same thing happens for four minutes. And then for some reason, this thing happens for 10 seconds, and then we're back to where we were. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Um, with that being said, though, uh, horror rap has always been my go-to, which sort of brings me to my 
choice, which is the group is Clipping. It's C-I-L-I-P-P-I-N-G, period. I don't know why there's a period, but it's there. Clipping, period. The record is called Visions of Bodies Being Burned. Um, and it is very horror-oriented. Or- the weird thing is, though, this isn't the record that got me into them. They have a record called Splendor and Misery that came out in 2016. That is mind-blowing. Like, just, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. It seems to be, like, squarely based in, like, some sort of Afro-futurist story um, about someone being on a, sh- on a spaceship um, and how that relates sort of to race in America and, and the black experience and things like that. So very heady, high concept for hip-hop, you know? So when this record came out, I was really surprised at how almost bass-level horror it is um there was a record before this one called there existed an addiction to blood which is also horror and they were supposedly recorded at the same time and so they're like companion pieces but this is the one that came out this year so it's super horror oriented like unashamedly they're like one of the songs is called 96 nev campbell and it's obviously about scream you know, and they have samples from horror movies. They reference Witchboard, um, all kinds of stuff. Uh, and that's okay, but a lot of times with horror, you get into this sort of like um, psychopathic record sort of element, you know? Right. Uh, which is okay for what it is, but it's always very cartoonish. It's overly violent. Like, I sort of like my violence to be somewhat serious. <laughs> I know that sounds stupid, but like, just, it's like listening to Cannibal Corpse. At some point, it's like, okay, we get it. Like, you're being really gross. (laughs) Like, uh, and so, like, for horror to actually be horror, it can't necessarily only be that way. It has to mix true horror elements in, you know? Like, Evil Dead 2 is an amazingly hilarious movie. But there are scary moments. There are dark, scary sections that you feel like you're kind of losing your mind. So that's how I feel about this clipping record. There's obviously humorous nods to horror, horror rap. It's very self-aware. But then there's other moments where it's like for real pretty disarming and a little bit scary for real. And... I enjoyed it a lot. It's very firmly hip-hop, though. I don't want it to sound like, because I know I presented some other stuff that is sort of genre-defying. I would say that this is very much hip-hop, but it does have elements of maybe like power electronics and industrial and even screwed down. Like There are moments that are very noisy, um, but I don't think that's the goal. I think they're making a hip-hop record. So the song I really liked is called Body for the Pile. And I like it a lot because quite honestly, it sounds a lot like Drop It Like It's Hot, which I think is an amazingly produced song. Uh, But it also, the makeup of the instrument sounds is very close to like Einstein's and Neubauten or whatever, like very industrial. Um, And so 
yeah, it just has a lot going on. And I think it's something pretty creepy to put on and, and kind of uh, get nervous too. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, I would consider this definitely experimental hip hop. I would too. This is hands down. Um, you know, I've been listening to a lot of this sort of, uh, noise rap, I guess you could say for, I mean, quite a while now. Um, and, um, the, uh, I really, really like the uh, production on this album. I love the, the just the really in-your-face sort of darkness. And then also at times, like you were saying, just really haunting and disturbing. It's really a record that never really lets up. Yeah. And just sort of, it's, in your, like, it's almost like a big black record in that case or something, you know? Yeah. In, in that way. But um, it puts me in mind of sort of like death grips sure uh, dalek yeah um or dialect uh and then also like anti-pop consortium mm-hmm. which i mentioned with iron wigs as well um yeah. i think this is more closer to to that than iron iron wigs was um yeah and then uh, also like i hear a little bit of like maybe even some like kendrick in there like kendrick lamar and Sort of sure. stuff like that. I mean, it, I, I agree with you, though, on your assessment that there's a lot of, uh, while there's a lot of other things going on, a lot of noise and experimental, and there's a certain minimalism to it that I think is really attractive as well. For um, sure, yeah. It, at the end of the day, I think that they were making a, uh, a rap record. Yeah. That's, that's definitely what I hear. Uh, the two songs that really caught my ear... And from beginning to end, this was just a fantastic listen. And I've also heard, I never listened to a full clipping album, but I Mm -hmm. have listened to songs. Um, I've listened to tracks and I've always been really interested in them. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm glad I took the time to listen to this as a whole body of work. Because I think that's exactly what this is. is I think it's a whole body of work that just works together very well i think so too and it, yeah all their records are that way like the splendor and misery i would actually suggest over this one i think it's just amazing and it has to be taken as a piece and that is kind of odd for for hip-hop in general i think sure these aren't individual songs this is a record sure you know? yes and that's that's what i like i mean Call me, call me a boomer in this instance, but I love, I still am a sucker for the whole album format. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. But the two songs that really caught my um, my ear are mm-hmm. the same two that you mentioned: uh, "Body for the Pile," absolutely mm-hmm. incredible, and I hear the "Drop It Like It's Hot" comparison. Right. <laughs> it also reminded me of like Missy Elliott too. Like yeah, for um, sure. The uh, there's a, a track. It's got that, it's got that um, sort of boom, boom, ba, ba, boom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that sort of thing. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's the closest the record comes to like a club track, right. you know. <laughs> um, but also 96 Nev Campbell. Um, I was just going to say, I love the fact that they named an album or a track after yeah. Nev Campbell in the 96 movie Scream. 
And and it's a killer track. It, it's, it's a such a killer oh. track. I mean, yeah, it really is. And yeah, the whole the whole record just works together, man. It's just it's fantastic. I'm actually going to because of this, I'm going to go back and I'm going to listen to their previous work. Um, yeah, no, uh, clipping. Uh, fantastic, fantastic. Cool. Visions of bodies being burned too. What a great title. Yeah, it's uh, it's as heavy as the album, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, there was even like an element of like, sort of grave diggers, you know. First, yeah. Um, yeah was my first experience with horror rap and I the six feet deep record is still one of my favorite records ever. Like I don't even know the lyrics to my own songs and that's <laughs> not a, that is for real. I have to have notes sure. with me if I play. But I can pretty much rap all of Six Feet Deep and that's sick. So <laughs> I can't say enough about Grave Diggers. I just love them. Have you ever heard of the rapper Mr. Dead? Oh, that sounds familiar. I I remember um, Travis, my friend Travis, uh, for those yeah. of you who don't know, he's <laughs> like my best friend and he was in this band called this Colonel Noise Box with me. But anyway, um, I remember we went to, um, we were in Iowa City at the Record Collector at the old location Mm-hmm. And in the hip hop section, there was this uh, CD from this guy named Mr. Dead. And it was like this, this guy wearing a mask that he looked like just a really bad, it looked like just a, like a really bad version of Freddy Krueger, yeah. kind of. And he was wearing a, like a jacket that was very similar to like Michael Jackson in the Beat It video, the red sort of like thing and uh travis was like you know what i gotta get this (laughs) and we listened to it and it was so it was exactly how i described it like the visuals that sounded exactly how you'd expect it to sound like (laughs) really like like the production was just really funky but also very dark you know and had like I, almost like rap a, like Freddy Krueger like in that Jazzy Jeff song. <laughs> oh yeah, nightmare. Oh my, you know, um, there could be an argument made. There could be a case made for that yeah. being the very first horrorcore rap song. I would, yeah. I, I mean, the fact that they sampled or recreated uh, the theme from Nightmare on Elm Street as their face loop, yeah. Pretty big deal, actually. And I actually, I think it's actually, that is a very underrated rap beat. That is one of the best rap beats of all time. It's funky and scary. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. There's so many, like, God, time is such a weird thing, man. There's so many things when you look back on it. Like, I always forget that MC Hammer and Vanilla Ice both put out gangster rap records. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, MC Hammer put out The Funky Headhunter, and Vanilla Ice put out Mind Blowing. Both are very, very, they will blow your mind, both of them. I'm not really? kidding. No, I'm not kidding. See, All but right. here's here's the thing, man, and this Funky is... Headhunter. Let's this, check it out. This is something that's going to, um, 
get me probably a, a lot a lot of um, a lot of shit. Uh, and I've already expressed this to all my friends, and Travis and I both agree. Um, Vanilla Ice, man, to the extreme. Yeah. Still a great record. Hmm. I don't think I listened to it then, uh, but I'm willing to give it a shot now. <laughs> if you want to, man, I'm not going to recommend it like the Nickelback discography. But um, <laughs> uh, for real, though, <laughs> I honestly believe that if Vanilla Ice did not um, have the record company making him look like the Elvis of rap. Yeah. And he just wore like regular clothes or whatever. Because mm -hmm. at the time, that's what, you, that's what you were supposed to do in hip hop. Yeah. I mean, obviously that's changed now. Actually, now the Elvis of rap look would probably actually get you credibility. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, when you got rappers like Riff Raff, you know who Riff Raff is? No, I don't. Okay. Uh -uh. Uh, or even, I mean, just look at look at the way that a lot of the emo rappers like dress. You know what I mean? Like they, it's they're kind of outdoing each other. I think in the uh -oh. weird. Oh yeah, I'm seeing riff rap right now. Okay, yeah. So I mean, those guys are actually, you know, like they're not shamed for looking that way now. It's like yeah. in the last five years, it became acceptable to be that way and rap and i think that's fucking awesome like yeah. in a lot of ways i think i think you should be able to be as goofy as you fucking want and it doesn't matter yeah. um you know of course you're gonna have the people who are passionate about rap and passionate about hip-hop that are saying well you're stealing from the culture well there's truth to that i mean let's not let's face it uh but at the same time like Cultural appropriation is such a, it's such a, a weird topic anyway, because on one hand, yeah, I totally see what you're saying. But on the other hand, there's a lot of things that we wouldn't have that are really good if it weren't for some form of cultural appropriation, you know, like when it comes to music, when it comes to food, when it comes to all types of things, you know what I mean? For sure. Anyway, I don't know why I'm... <laughs> Yeah, I think there's a difference too, though. You know, like there's a total difference, total and I think difference. people can tell the difference. And, and that's, the problem, that's kind of the, the problem thing. with Vanilla Ice, is that he was actually a culture vulture, like at the time, like in yeah. 1990. But a lot of that, I don't think, was his fault. I mean, if yeah. you look at his story, a lot of that was like, "Hey, we're gonna make you a star. You just right. need to put on this," and he did it, and. Yeah. You know, it's like... He's kind of like the George W. Bush of rap. <laughs> exactly, the George W. Bush of rap. But if you actually get past all of that, I mean, Ice Ice Baby, I mean, Ice, I think it's a great rap song. There's a lot of people that are going to, like, disagree with me on that. Um, I think explaining away his use of the sample is one of the best things I've ever heard in my life. Explaining what now? <laughs> explaining away his use of the queen sample oh yeah 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 <laughs> yeah 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 where he's like yeah see there's not that ting at the end of it yeah yeah that's like i love that that is fucking awesome but there are songs there are songs on the rest of the record that aren't singles that yeah. honestly they wouldn't be out of place on like license to ill 
Wow. You know, I mean, you know, I'm not even joking. That's that's in my opinion, though. I mean, this is an opinion. This isn't fact. You might totally disagree with me, Eric. Um, oh, we'll see. I'm not gonna, you know, and go into it hating it. I so. I think I think that Vanilla Ice could have been, could have gotten more respect. I think he's got a lot of respect now because I think he's owned up to a lot of the shit. Like um, I think I think now he's just like you know what. I was a dumb kid, you know, I, fuck, you know, when 1990, you're fucking 20 years old, some label's going to throw $4 million at you. I mean, come on. You know what I mean? Like, I'd get a pompadour for $4 million. Exactly. Like I'd, (laughs) I'd cut my hair like Elvis. My hair would grow. (laughs) I would uh, not steal the queen sample (laughs) for $4 million. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's also that story that Suge Knight actually hung him from a balcony. Yeah, I heard that too. Yeah, well, actually, a lot of that was because um, apparently one of the producers of Ice Ice Baby was affiliated with Death Row. Oh, wow. And he wasn't getting his cut. So Suge Knight said, I'm going to take care of it. Wow. But Vanilla <laughs> Ice, at first, he confirmed it. He said, Yo, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, I don't want to mess with Suge Knight. Boy, I was crying like a baby when he hung me up. Then the second time, he's like, oh, no, no, that didn't happen at all. He came into my room, and I, you know, he said, uh, we need the money. And I was like, well, I'm taking care of it. You know what I mean? Like, so, <laughs> I don't know. I think. Was Suge Knight in jail when, that, when he said it that way? <laughs> yeah, probably. Suge <laughs> <laughs> Knight's in jail. This Sh- is what actually Suge Knight's still in jail. But the thing is, is like. I mean, that sort of, like, sort of thing, the days of, like, people being afraid of Suge Knight, I think, are over anyway. There's far more terrifying people in the world of hip-hop than Suge Knight now. There are people that have out Suge Knight. people in the world, too. There, Yeah, in the world as well. But, I mean, specifically in hip-hop, though, you think yeah. about some of the characters that have made it big. Like, there are people that have out Suge Knight, Suge Knight. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Like, if you, I mean... Some of these, like, big, you know, like, there's actually, like, certain labels that are, like, you know, just, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't want to mess with them. (laughs) But, you know, there's also other labels that are great, like Mellow Music Group. Yeah, for sure. And who knows? Maybe they're something to fear, too. Who knows? But (laughs) if they are, then I don't care because, you know. Sorry, I'm really getting off topic here. <laughs> Vanilla Ice. I think that was his slogan, right? What was it? There's always there's always time for Vanilla Ice. Uh, I don't know if it was. I do remember he put out that movie called Cool as Ice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's available in full on YouTube for free. Oh, yeah, yeah I, I'll watch that and listen to To the Extreme. Dude, there we go, man. And then... I would recommend listening to Mind Blowing and The Funky Headhunter. Okay. Oh, right. speaking of people that are scary, I guess MC Hammer was actually really like, back in the day, I guess that he really was like, he was actually like a blood or a crypt. And I guess like rappers would like diss him in like songs. And, you know, like Q-Tip actually dissed him in a tribe song. And uh, Redman dissed him as well. And I guess he would actually, like, walk up to him and, like, confront him. And he actually had, like, gang-affiliated bodyguards that were 
threatening these rappers that are like hardcore rappers. Like, I guess like hardcore rappers actually feared MC Hammer. Wow. So it's weird though to think that like MC Hammer, you know, you can't touch this. Those big yeah. old puffy pants. <laughs> you know, like I actually tried wearing a wearing those one time and tried actually doing that dance. How like, did that go? <laughs> I mean, people laughed. Uh, well, not, I, I st- still to this day I don't know if they laughed with me or at me. <laughs> so I don't know. I thought it was funny, but yeah. Uh, Anyways, hey, so do you want to burn through your honorable mentions? Oh yeah, my honorable mentions. So do you want me to keep it at three, or do you want me to go ahead and list off all of them real quick? That's up to you. I'd say if you do three, you could talk a little bit about them. But sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, I don't actually have anything written down. I just have the list, so I don't really okay. have a lot of details about a lot of them. Gotcha. I'm just going to go ahead and burn through them, and then I'll okay. mention like a sentence or two about them. Yeah. Uh, so first off, The Network, Money, Money, Part 2, we told you so. I don't know if you're familiar with The Network, Eric. Nope. And I don't know if you're, you're not really a Green Day fan, are you? Uh no, I mean, I liked, uh, you know, Dookie. And, okay, all right. Uh, smooth out, sloppy hour thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Nothing really past those first couple Okay, things. all right, so you like the first couple. But anyway, uh, the network is Green Day's uh, new wave side project. Wow. They put out a record in 2003, I think, called hmm. Money Money 2020. Wow. And then they just put out their second record, called Money Money 2020 Part 2, We Told You So. (laughs) And so it's about 2020. It's pretty interesting. They're both on Spotify. You should check them both out. They're actually really good. They kind of sound like um, if Green Day uh, were in Devo. Okay. Um, Next up, Green Day, Father of All, the new record. I, you know, I, I I thought it was pretty good. I didn't think it was great, but I'm still going to put it on my honorable mentions because it's okay. Um, I don't, I mean, Green Day doesn't need any sort of introduction, <laughs> you know. Um, next up is Dueling Experts 1 and 2. Um, if you're a fan of Iron Wigs, I'd definitely recommend those. A little bit more hardcore, a little bit more um, grimier than Iron Wigs. Um, King Buzzo from the Melvins put out a solo record called Gift of Sacrifice, um, which is pretty good. It's got like an acoustic feel to it. Um, Deftones put out a new record called Ohms, which is pretty good. Run the Jewels 4, I thought that that was great. Yeah. Uh, Felt for You, which is a collaboration between Slug of Atmosphere and MERS. They have this super group, this duo called Felt, and this is the fourth record, and they called it Felt For You, the number four. Atmosphere, the day before Halloween. Um, Atmosphere, Slug, um, one of my favorite rap groups. Um, this one is a really interesting one that I think you would really like, Eric, called Lil Yeah, La- I got some stuff to say about this one. So. Cool. Uh, Lil Lavity. Um and this is uh, Hella Spiders 666. And I first read about this on, I think it was like punknews.org or something like that. And the description, they described 
a little lavity is sounding like a cross between La Tigra and like Death Grips or something. I can hear that, yeah. So you heard you heard a little lavity before? Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, uh, just from you having it on your list. Okay, all right. I yeah. love that record. Um, it's really good. Yeah. And then uh, Bad Cop, Bad Cop, The Ride. They're a uh, group um, on uh, Fat Records, which I'm not. Fat Records, I have a love hate relationship with. I like probably about twenty percent of the bands on Fat Records. Um. You know, like I like some of the old NoFX stuff. Bad Cop, Bad Cop is awesome, though. Um, and actually, I would recommend their previous, the record that came out before this called Warriors. Great record. Mm. Aesop Rock, Spirit World, Field Guide. Fantastic record. Uh, Bomb Pops, Death in Venice Beach. Um, that is um, another Fat Records group. Mm. Um you know, the Bob Pops and Bad Cop, Bad Cop are two fat records bands that I really like. Vanguard, self-titled, um, fantastic hip-hop, uh, again, Mr. Lith. Uh, but back to Run the Jewels 4, man. Um, until I heard Iron Wigs, mm-hmm. I would have said Run the Jewels 4 was the hip-hop album of the year. Um, I thought it was pretty sick, yeah. Love that record. Um, I'm not a huge... I'll admit, I'm not a big Killer Mike fan on yeah. on the mic, but in solo, I'm not a big Killer Mike fan, but when he collaborates with LP, LP mm-hmm. just brings something out in him that he just, I don't know, I feel like he didn't really have on his own. Yeah. Like, you know, for some reason, but LP's production, fantastic. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, those are all my honorable mentions. So, back to Atmosphere. Uh-huh. All right. So, let me preface this by saying I have never heard Atmosphere in my entire life. Okay. Not once. Okay. And now I'm just going to read my notes. Okay. 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 It says, Atmosphere, the day before Halloween. This is sick. Love the synths, beats, and vocals. I mean... Fucking seriously, why have I never listened to this? I'm adding this to my best of list. I don't give a fuck. And then it says, it receives my highest praise. And this is totally true. My highest praise for anything that I am introduced to. I'm mad at my friends for not telling me about this sooner. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Like everyone I know should have been like, dude, do you listen to Atmosphere? Like, everything about it is right up my alley. Dude, Checks all the boxes. That's and I just, crazy. Like, yeah, I I loved it. And I seriously thought about adding it to my list, but I was like, well, it's kind of too late, and I'd be sort of stealing. But I Dude, couldn't believe how much I loved it. It's so, a fantastic record. Um, you've never heard any of any of Atmosphere's older material? Nope. Nope. Well, Not one note. If, yeah. I, if I were you, um, I would start with, uh, I would start from the beginning, man. Start with their first album, yeah. Overcast. I'm going to dig right um, through it. It's, I'm going to tell you right away, nothing that they've ever put out is like the day before Halloween. Oh, okay. That was a really like, that was a real surprise to me that they oh, put out that right. record. Um, 
Overcast is mm-hmm. very boom bap hip hop. Okay. Came All out right. in 97. They had another member by uh, by the name of Spawn. Hmm. It is to me one of the best records and one of the best hip hop records in the 90s. Nice. Um, God Loves Ugly. Um, see, the thing about Atmosphere, and I don't know, are you familiar with Sage Francis at all? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay, Atmosphere, Sage Francis, Aesop Rock. You familiar with Aesop Rock? Yeah. Uh huh. Um, all of these rappers in 2000, like the early 2000s, and also the Definitive Juck stuff, mm-hmm. they were being labeled as emo rap in like, oh, the early wow. 2000s. Okay. Because they were, um, the lyrics that they rapped about, it was more emotional and it wasn't, right. they weren't trying to be hardcore and thugged out and rap about money and right. all this stuff. So that was emo rap before then, before gotcha. what emo rap is now. Like it's kind of, emo rap did the same thing that emo rock did. It started off with bands like Embrace and Rites of Spring. Then it went into like the Midwest emo phase where it was like Promise Ring and Captain Jazz and Get Up Kids and all that stuff. And then it went full on mainstream. And now like, you know, like Taking Back Sunday has like no resemblance to Rites of Spring at all, you know? Sure. Um, But other than the fact that they're both labeled emo. That's kind of like what emo rap did. It kind of started off with like groups like Atmosphere, Sage Francis, or rappers like Atmosphere, Sage Francis, and Idea and Abilities is another one. And um, they were rapping about more like emotional stuff than, you know, like, hey, I got a shit ton of money, you know, blah, 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 or whatever. I'm going to shoot you up or whatever it is, you know, like they weren't 50 set, right? Yeah, right. And huh. then, and then um, somewhere along the line, emo rap eventually evolved into like Lil Peep and mm-hmm. like Young Lean, like you mentioned. Yeah. And stuff like that, where it's like, okay, now emo rap is, you know, like auto-tuned mm-hmm. singing, spoken, spoken word, you know, yeah. stuff like that. It's, it's really interesting when you actually like, so yeah, so like atmosphere... I, I don't really believe they were actually emo rap, but mm-hmm. according to like a lot of like publications, Atmosphere mm-hmm. and Sage Francis and rappers like that were like the first wave of emo emo yeah. rap. It's I didn't even know there was a such a thing. Yep. So yep. It's that's cool. It's really interesting, but yeah, no, I would definitely if you like the day before Halloween. Chances yeah. are it's probably going to be your favorite record by them. But yeah. I think that you'll like a lot of the other atmosphere stuff. Um, I mean, so yeah, I would I would definitely cool. recommend delving into it. Uh, I was um, glad you put it on the list. Most of it most of it is like really like straight up, more straight up hip hop than that record is. Okay. Yeah, because so, it's real synthy. It is. Like, yeah, no. When, honestly, when I first heard that, when I heard the first track, I was like, what the fuck? It was seriously like that. Then I was like, oh my God. Like in a matter of like, by the time it got to the second track, I was like, I don't know about this. 
by the time I got to the fifth track, I'm like, this is one of the best albums ever. Like, yeah. I agree with you, actually, that it's probably my favorite Atmosphere record since a few years back. Because he's been kind of putting out a lot of material. Because what Atmosphere is, is a duo of Slug and then the... <laughs> that This is kind of funny, but the rapper's name is Slug and the producer's mm -hmm. name is Ant. Huh. So Slug and Ant. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Really, really good stuff. Um, cool. Yeah, dude. Like, I'm glad you liked that. That actually yeah, awesome. puts a smile on my face that you liked it that much. Yeah. No, I, I, I use the uh, I'm mad at my friends for not telling me about this because it happened to me a number of years ago. I mean, it must have been quite a few years ago, 10 years maybe. But the first time I ever heard John Cale... Uh, Paris 1919, uh -huh. I was like actually furious with everyone that I had ever talked about music with yeah. for not mentioning that album to me. <laughs> I was just like, I was actually mad. I was just like, I could have been into this 20 years ago. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, uh, that's that's how I am with a lot of stuff. Like, I mean, Jawbreaker. We'll get we'll get into all that yeah, stuff. We'll do that next week. We'll de yeah. we'll definitely do that next week for sure. Okay, um, what else do you got on your... All right, so my honorable mention, uh, I'm only going to do three, so I'll expound upon them slightly. So the first one uh, is by an artist called Cindy Lee. The record's called What's Tonight to Eternity? Um, yeah, it, the artist's name is Patrick Flagle, and he's from Canada, but... Uh, it's very like moody, dreamy, twangy. It's like retro-ish, but not a throwback. Uh, it's super noisy. Uh, it has a lot of old school elements, like string sections. And it's very like 50s pop. But then it's like through a filter of noise and sound. Like um, It's hard to explain. Uh, my notes say it's like 50s pop through a low-pass filter or if you heard it from outside of a honky-tonk. <laughs> but that's only part of it. The other aspect of the album is it's also very synthy. Like, as a, it's almost synth-wave at moments. Like, And synth-wave is a genre basically created accidentally by John Carpenter. So, right. like, that Stranger Things kind of arpeggiated synth, um, Halloween kind of stuff like that. That happens throughout the record, too. So you go through this, like, 50s uh, ballady pop stuff, which I'm way into in real life, but then also all the synth stuff, which I'm also way into in real life. So it's it's really great. I really enjoy it, but it is super noisy. Right. So um, uh, the next one is Ryan Garbus, uh, the next the, – Tape is called Tabbed View. Oh yeah, he um, he was in um, Wet Hair and yeah. Raccoon with, yeah. Uh, I always thought his name was Ryan Garbs. Oh yeah, no Garbus. <laughs> yeah, and I've known Ryan for a long time. Uh, yeah, he's, he's and I've never guy. really heard any of his solo stuff. Unfortunately, I'm really bad at listening to people I know uh, their music. Sure. Um, ask any of my friends. Sure. Um, but. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, 
it's really amazing. Like, it will probably take me 15 listens to appreciate it full. There's just endless influences, like, and happening all at once. Like, it'll sound like a steel drum band with Nigerian guitar, like uh, Madhu Mokhtar kind of stuff, which is someone else I got to see because of Feed Me Weird Things. But then there's, like, garage rock elements, like the creation or the who. There's psychedelic pop elements, like 13th floor elevators. And then there's, like, the 60s weirdo electronic synth element, like Bruce Hack or Perry Kingsley. But it's happening all at once, and it's just insane. And it, But it, it's really pretty and really musical and really accessible. So... I can't say enough about that. The song I like on that was called uh, Bag of Bones. I just thought it kind of showed what the record was about. And my last uh, choice was the new Tobacco record, Hot, Wet, and Sassy. Um, Tobacco is a guy, and no one knows his name, but it's Thomas Beck. And no one knows where he's from, but it's Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And no one knows what kind of synthesizer he uses, but it's uh, the cat made by octave synthesizer. <laughs> so it's kind of like this fake uh, unknown musician anonymity, but everyone knows. Sure. I heard and his uh, <laughs> record he put out a few years back called Fucked Up Friends. Oh, yeah. That's um, great. Aesop Rock is actually on that. Yeah. And then he did another one called um, Malibu Ken. Yeah, with uh, Aesop Rock. Right, and that yep. one is pretty killer too. Yeah, it's it's badass. Uh, this record to me, Black Moth Super Rainbow. Did I mention that he's the main guy in that? Okay, he's the main guy in that. So Tobacco the, uh, the main are, guy in Black Moth Super Rainbow. Yeah, he's the main dude, like the, the guy that does all the vocoding and wow. synthesizer parts. I I never knew. So, that. Sorry to interrupt. I never knew that. Oh, not at all. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, Black Mouth Super Rainbow was always sort of like pop oriented. Um, I mean, not super accessible, but kind of on the poppier side of things, whereas Tobacco was more of the hip hop side of things. Um, but Black Mouth Super Rainbow is no more. And so now I feel like he's bringing everything to Tobacco. Um, I felt like there was, it was like, uh, kind of a vaporwave feel to this too um experimental it was glitchy it was trip hopish at moments um and it's if you like tobacco or black moth super rainbow you'll love it there's nothing surprising here except that it's all in one now he it feels like he can be hip-hop and he can be poppy and he can be tripped out all at the same time so the song I like on that is actually the single. It's called Babysitter, and it features Trent Reznor. And you should watch the video because it has Falcor from the never-ending story in it. Oh, and wow. And it's really good. <laughs> so wow. that's about it. Okay, well, that concludes our best of 2020 list, part one, the new stuff. This is a fun one. This is a long one. We're at two minute two uh, two minutes two hours and 21 minutes remember when we were like i think we can make it 40 minutes or less uh yeah we haven't even remember. we haven't even touched uh 
the old stuff yet. So no. <laughs> we're already. So yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna let. Uh, man, these <laughs> these two are just. We're just gonna roll it however long it takes. What the heck? Yeah. It's the end of 2020. And, you can uh, always pop it. Come back to it. Yeah, we'll yeah. We we deserve to be happy about music we discovered, and we deserve to talk about all this stuff after the year we had. I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, good call. Um, so, uh, if you don't like it, eat shit. That's <laughs> <laughs> like a good... Just kidding. Or you don't dr- deserve it. Or drink a... Uh, <laughs> Don't, yeah, there you go. I, I was going to follow that up with something, and then I realized that I had nothing to follow it up with. Um, <laughs> any, anyway, so uh, that happens a lot. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. We will see you next week um, for part two, which is going to be the stuff that Eric and I discovered that we hate all of our friends for not telling us about yeah. earlier. That's right. all right you guys all take care have a happy new year we'll see all well i guess we won't see you but you will (laughs) hear us in 2021 take care everyone bye